Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Ladies and gentlemen, this Christmas Eve, is anybody here or how many of us here need music, the music of God and the light of Christ in your life? How many of us here need to see the light of the Lord Jesus Christ of Christmas come and begin to set ablaze all that is unholy and cleanse out all that is impure and come as the glory of light and music in you and in me. The truth is the full meaning of Christmas is wrapped up in one profound word. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today on The Winning Walk, Dr. Young begins his message, Emmanuel, and reveals how the message of Christmas boils down to God saying, I'm here for you. Stick around, Dr. Young is coming up with that encouraging truth. Now, here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Emmanuel. A woman in Austin just hated Christmas. She didn't give gifts, and therefore she didn't receive gifts. But before Christmas, she went into a little grocery store and got a little packet of Christmas cards, and she'd made a list, 49 people, and she addressed those envelopes and signed the cards and put 49 of them in and mailed them. And then an amazing thing happened. She started getting presents, presents from different people, family. She hadn't given anything in years, and she hadn't received. And presents started just coming in, and she couldn't understand it. Till finally, about the day before Christmas, she had one card left she'd bought, and she opened and looked in it, and she said, Merry Christmas. This is just to say a gift is on the way. For a long time, hundreds of years in this book, the world was promised a gift. That Messiah would come, God would visit the planet, reveal to everybody who he was, his nature and his character, and the whole world will come changed. The promised gift came, and we know the event, the place where that gift came into time and into history. I love uh, the allegories that C.S. Lewis has written. The line, the witch in the wardrobe especially, is my favorite because it's an allegory of Lewis's life and his conversion. You remember how the children went through that magical wardrobe and they went into the mystical country of Narnia. And there in Narnia, they discovered that everything was icy and snowy and frozen and cold. And it didn't seem to anybody much life there, but life would flicker in and flicker out. And all the animals were afraid and reticent and in hiding because darkness was there. Cold was there. The wicked witch was there. Evil was there in Narnia. But then do you remember that Lucy said, one of the little girls, she said, why in Narnia 
Why in Narnia is it always winter and never Christmas? Always winter, never Christmas. But then you know what happened in this story. Aslan, the Christ-like figure, the lion came, and suddenly darkness began to be pushed away, and, and evil was defeated. And all of a sudden, that dark area was slowly coming to light, and all the snow and ice was melting, and you could hear water running. You could hear snow dropping from the trees, and finally you could see a little bit of green because now Christmas had come. It changed everything. This is the story of C.S. Lewis's conversion. He was an Oxford don, a scholar, mythology, Middle Eastern understanding, mysticism, fairy tales, he was an atheist, but he became a theist, and slowly, he said, like that melting ice, he became a Christian, and he said it changed everything in his life. He became a Christian, Lewis said, like Christmas melted everything in his life. I've been walking around the last couple of weeks asking people just casually, uh, what is Christmas? You should listen to angels, the answers I've gotten. They're, they're staggering. I asked a lady this morning, in fact, in another context. I said, what is Christmas? She said, well, I'm going to cook, and we're going to make some enchiladas, and I'm going to bake a ham, and the family's going to come over. She said, that's Christmas. Others have talked about the spirit of Christmas. And some of us look back, we were children when I was a child, Christmas was all about one thing, Santa Claus. And we'd all get something from Santa Claus, and then we'd go out, and our friends would ask, what did you get? What did Santa bring you? And we would show what Santa brought us. And for me, I'll have to confess, Christmas was always a pretty down time because it seems that Santa never gave me the quality of gifts that all my friends would get. I didn't understand it then. I do now. But uh, this is Christmas for some. It's travel. For some, it's skiing. For some, it's going home with mom and dad and grandpa and the grandchildren and the children. And, and I remember hitchhiking back home from University of Alabama and going home for Christmas and seeing all my friends who'd gone everywhere. Christmas is hunting for others. It has a whole lot of meaning, doesn't it, for every single one of us. But I want to give you the definitive definition of Christmas so you won't be confused about what Christmas really is. Christmas is wrapped up in one Hebrew word. You find it in Matthew chapter number 1, verse 23. We know the Holy Spirit visited the Virgin Mary, and she conceived, and she brought forth a son, and her surrogate husband was told by the angels who that son was and what that son was to be called. And this one word gives us a definition of Christian. It tells us all about what it means to be a Christian at Christmas. It's the word Emmanuel. And when I say today, what is Christmas? I want everybody to answer 
in unity, Emmanuel. What is Christmas? Emmanuel. Oh, C plus. What is Christmas? Emmanuel. And the word Emmanuel means, as we know, God with us. That's Christmas. Three words wrapped up in that one word, which we know what is Christmas. It says that Jesus is God. That's the bottom line. By the way, this whole book, from Genesis to Revelation, says that one thing. Jesus is God. That's the theme from the beginning to end. And when we know that and when we believe that and we stand on that basic fundamental truth, all of Christianity makes sense that Jesus is God. And if we do not understand that and we do not believe that, Christianity becomes confusing and dysfunctional. So we know that the Bible teaches that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed God, Emmanuel, the incarnation of the Almighty, Jesus was divine. Jesus was God. How do we know that? Jesus claimed to be God. Look at all the I am statements, seven of them. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. All those I am statements is Jesus himself claiming I am God. And how many times in the Bible do you read Jesus saying, the Father and I, we're one. We're one and the same. And we know that Jesus claimed to be God because one reason, he forgave sin. Now, who can forgive sin but God? If Joe hits Mike and I go and say, Joe, I forgive you, well, who am I to forgive Joe? Mike has to do it. And the truth is, Joe didn't offend Mike. When we sin, we always sin against God. God does the forgiving. Jesus went about forgiving sin. Also, Jesus received worship. The angels never received worship. Read in the Bible. When someone worshiped an angel, the angel would say, I am just created like you. I'm not God. You're not to worship me. When would Paul and Silas were worshiped there as they were teaching, the people fell down. He said, get up. We worship only the living God. And the amazing thing is, who first recognized Jesus and saw that he was God? It was his closest friends and associates. If I stood up here and told you this Christmas Eve, Homer Edwin Young is God, how would that fly with you? Man, I know him. <laughs> I know about him. He's a long way from being God. But Jesus was proclaimed to be God by his intimate associates as they saw him pray, as they saw the countless miracles, as they heard him teach, as they lived with him. And finally, they came to the conclusion when all the data was in, all the experiences, it was the apostles who said, and others, this can be no one other than God Almighty, the Messiah, the Christ. And therefore, we come to the point that we as Christians are accused of exclusivity. 
We say, oh, they're exclusive. They are narrow. Those Christians believe this is the only way. That's a bunch of narrow people up there. Tell you something, if you were sick, you went to two doctors and both of them said, hey, just rest, drink some water, you'll get well. But if I were a doctor and I'd look at you and say, look, you're terminally ill. That's not going to work. You have to take this particular pill. It's the only thing that will heal you. Now, I am not being narrow. This has nothing to do with narrowness. The bottom line is either those doctors are right and accurate in telling the truth, or I am right and accurate in telling the truth. It's a matter of what is right, what is wrong, what is true, and what is not true. There's no narrowness there. So the idea of exclusivity, no, no, no. We're not narrow at all because we read in the Bible the clear options that we have. Jesus is either a liar. If he were a liar, wasn't he a great liar? Amazing liar. Amazing to see her. Amazing someone who defrauded people. Jesus is either a liar or he's a lunatic like a fried egg out of his gourd, some crazy, crazy kind of pseudo-prophet, liar, a lunatic, or either he is Lord and Savior, who he claims to be. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't say, oh, I'm going to believe he's a prophet. Oh, I, I give you he was a great teacher. The option is not there. He's a liar or a lunatic, and he is Lord God whom we are to worship. God, Jesus is God. What is Christmas? God with. Now, there's a big word. God with us. God right here with us. That's something. All the way through the Bible, you see people that come in the presence of God. What do you find? It's fear. Like those shepherds, oh, it's fear. You read about Job there. My Job saw God in a, in a typhoon, in a tornado, in a hurricane. That's awesome. That's God. God came near a hurricane. What we read there in Abraham, he saw God as a smoking furnace moving through the sacrifice. Hot smoking furnace. You cannot get near him. What about Moses there on the mountain? My goodness, he came just near to God. His face shone with Shekinah. He came down. The people couldn't look at him, had to put a veil on his face, or they'd be blinded. God, awesome, otherness, away, unapproachable, out there, up there, here, and Moses, the burning bush, holy ground. You can't handle it. A pillar of fire. And finally, Moses says, God, I want to see you. And God says, Moses, you can't see me and live, but I will hide myself in the cleft of a rock. And God said, I'll pass before you, Moses. You'll not see me. I'll pass right with you. You'll not see me. And I'll pass by you. And God says to Moses, you can see the hindmost parts. You can see my heels, and that's all you can see. You see, all the way through the Bible, we think of God. He is ferocious. He is the holy other. We can't deal with him. 
But we discovered that Emmanuel, God with the witness of God, God came down. He is here and he came down, and I like to call it the great condescension. The great condescension. He came down as a, a baby. I was uh, yesterday walking right out here in the atrium, speaking to people, looking at the trains, enjoying all that goes on around here. And I, I saw a young mother had a little guy with her, and I stopped and spoke to her and commented on the child. And all of a sudden, that little guy just jumped out of her arms and whoosh, right into my arms. I'd never seen him before, never seen him before. And I just take that little guy and he just fell on my shoulder and my neck. And she said, he's a cuddler. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he was a cuddler. I just held him there and we visited. And finally I told her, I said, you'd better take him back or I'm going to take him home with me. (laughs) Jesus. God came down from heaven and as a baby, he was a cuddler right here, right now, available, the great humility of God. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. You can get too prideful, too having worked out your own deal, you think, with God. Get too big, God can't use you. But nobody can get too little too small, too humble, or too broken for God to use you. God himself took on human flesh and became baby, available with arms outstretched for every single one of us. Prior to Bethlehem, God was up there. Now, everybody here has had some kind of experience of God. I felt God when I was fishing, or I felt God when I was on top of the mountain, or I felt God when the sunset went up in the valley. All these general experiences of God, the only problem is they don't get you anywhere. You never get to know him. You never get into a relationship with him. He's not alive in your life. He's not dealing with all the anxieties and all the joys that come. He's up there. He's out there. But in Jesus Christ in Bethlehem, he becomes available. What is Christmas? Jesus is God with, right here, with us. He came to us in our terms, met us in the lowest common denominator. Us. He's with us. Who's that us? Not God is with everybody. God's with. Who was us there in Matthew? It was the Magi. It was the astrologers who saw the star and they read the prophecy and they followed that star all the way to Jesus. And they brought gold, frankincense, and burr. And I think that gave Mary and Joseph the wherewithal to handle going to Egypt, to handle getting back to Nazareth, to stay alive, to have means to live. They came from afar. They had no credentials. Also, who came there to Jesus? The lowly, worthless shepherds. That was the lowest, lowest ring in all the employees who worked there in Israel. They were nobodies. They couldn't go in the temple. They would stink like the sheep. They were unclean. 
God came and visited the nobodies, shepherds. What is Christmas? God with us. An amazing, an amazing, amazing thing. God with us. This week, in a little town in Florida, Mulberry, Florida, there was a mother there who was a single mom who had a special child, an autistic child. And since that child had been three years old, this mother worked at McDonald's, would get off, and she would take that child to the Christmas house. You know, there are Christmas houses around every town and in several in our city. And there are houses for people to take. This house had 250,000 lights all over it, and they had reindeer and Santa Claus and music, Christmas music from 7 to 11 at night. And they had everything you could imagine from the manger scene to, to the reindeer. And it was just a glow with light and life. And people came from all over that little town in Florida to see the Christmas house. Everybody liked it but the neighbors. <laughs> Cars were lined up day after day, night after night. And this mother would take that little autistic girl get her out of the car, put her in the wheelchair, and just sit her there from the time she was three, and she would look at the Christmas lights, the Christmas house. The doctor had told the mom she'd never talk, but she just looked at that Christmas house and would make noises from the time she was three until this year she was 13. Same thing, every year, wheelchair, looked at the Christmas lights, never a word, but this year, the mom was talking to someone, and another woman went up and began to talk with a little girl, and the little girl said to the other woman, place of music and lights. The woman talked to her and went to the mother and said, you know, I'd never heard your child speak before. The mother said, well, she's never spoken. Said, oh, yes, she just spoke to me. And the mom went over there and said, darling, uh, what did you say? And she pointed and said, place of music and lights. And that mom had a whole new view of that life that now perhaps would communicate and grow and develop. Ladies and gentlemen, this Christmas Eve, is anybody here or how many of us here need music the music of God and the light of Christ in your life. How many of us here need to see the light of the Lord Jesus Christ of Christmas come and begin to set ablaze all that is unholy and cleanse out all that is impure and come as the glory of light and music in you and in me? That can happen. That is the gift of Christmas when we receive that gift. Well, before we leave you today, Dr. Young is here to answer a couple of questions coming out of the message we've just heard. Dr. Young, Jesus came so long ago in such a different time than we live in today. How would you respond to someone who says Jesus' message no longer relates to what we're facing now? To understand that Jesus came after prophecy was laid down for thousands of years and he fit perfectly 
every prediction about what would take place, the name, the place, the character, that when God would visit this earth. Jesus was God wrapped up in human skin. Therefore, his life, as he lived, as he walked, as he talked, as he related to people, everything about his life is a model for us that is relevant, more relevant than the latest news you could bump into. He is relevance indeed. People say, well, you know, that happened a long time ago. Read the basic principles you pick up, not only the Ten Commandments, but in the Beatitudes and the principles that Jesus laid down for how we are to live. And you'll say, man, it's just right on point. You see, when we're in Christ and the Holy Spirit is operating in your life and in my life, we'll see the absolute validity and truth demonstrated by the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. How practical that is as we ask, where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? All of those are answered as you study the life of Jesus and you let him be not only your Savior, but your Lord. Well, you know, the joy of Christmas comes from knowing that God stepped into our world to be with us in our pain and save us, of course, from our sins. How can believers share this joy with others and invite people to experience the true reason for the season? Well, you know, you have to look at Jesus. You have to say he's an impositor. If you look at Jesus, you have to say he's just a play actor. He's, he's not really real. It's not really accurate. I have to say he is a prophet. Or you have to say it is the big, biggest con scheme ever conceived in history. Or you look at him and say, hey, Look at his life. Look at the evidence of his life. Not only fulfill prophecy, but look at what he did and what he said and the miracles he performed and the miracle he put down in having defeated death. So you look at Jesus and you see Bethlehem. What a moment when God came out of timelessness into time. What a moment. And we look and study that moment and we see how it relates to every big question anybody would ask about life now and life forever. Very helpful. Thank you, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.